Well, this is the word of God to us, so it's right that we should ask him to help us understand what he says. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for speaking to us in the Bible. We pray about this passage that we're looking at today, this passage that exposes us. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you'll help us to be honest with ourselves and honest with you, and you help us to appreciate all the more the rescue that you have won for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, how do you feel about the, the people that you know, the people you work with, the people you play golf with, the people whose kids go to school with your kids? Most of them, most of them aren't really that bad, are they? Uh, even if they're not Christians. They've got a well-developed sense of right and wrong. When you get to know them, you see that most of them are actually quite nice people. Most people do lots of good things. They work hard. They love their children. They look after their families. And most people don't do all that many really bad things. Most people have never murdered or raped or robbed a bank or anything like that. The people that we rub shoulders with each day are mostly pretty nice. They know right from wrong. And they live quite moral lives. And so it's hard to picture in your mind the idea of all these people going to hell, isn't it? I'll be honest, it is, isn't it? It's hard to imagine that God would really be angry with all of these nice people seems a bit over the top, a bit uh, extreme. And so it seems strange to talk to these people about Jesus, about the message that uh, we've seen in Romans so far, because as we've seen, the message about Jesus is all about rescuing people from God's anger. Back in chapter 1 of this letter to the Romans, just uh, we'll go back through it. It's been a couple of weeks since we've looked at it. We saw that Paul is not ashamed of the gospel. It's the good news about Jesus. He's not ashamed of it because he says it's God's way of rescuing people. Back in chapter 1 and verse 16. Chapter 1, verse 16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. And then Paul started talking about why people need to be rescued. People need to be rescued because of this anger of God. God is, every, is angry with everyone, it says, who refuses to love and obey him as they should. Chapter 1, verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. And then what Paul does is he focuses his, his attention on people who people who have never really heard the message of the Bible. They don't really know about God and his law from the Bible. Paul says, it is no excuse. It's no excuse if people have never been told about God. It's no excuse if they've never read the Bible. It's no excuse if they've never heard about Jesus. Paul says that people know enough from the very creation of the world to be inexcusable. They know there's a God, a powerful God a God to whom they're accountable. 
But people suppress that knowledge. They, they hold it down and in response God gives them over to terrible immorality. Sexual immorality, homosexuality, to all kinds of antisocial behaviours. Now look at verse 29 of chapter 1. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. In chapter 1, Paul is dealing with those real pagans out there. Uh, The people who don't know about the God of the Bible. People who obviously do what we know is wrong. People like that need the good news about Jesus. They need to be rescued from God's anger on the immorality. But that doesn't really seem to apply to the most, of the most of the people we know, does it? Most of the people we know are nice people. They're not grossly immoral. They're not dancing naked in the Mardi Gras or something like that. It doesn't feel like they're in imminent danger of the wrath of God. It doesn't feel like they need rescuing. And so for the people we know, the, the whole Jesus thing seems a bit irrelevant, a bit over the top, a bit, a bit embarrassing. Do you ever feel like that? Do you ever feel like the gospel is irrelevant for those nice people you know? The the, the moral people that you rub shoulders with day by day? Or do you maybe think it's irrelevant to you? I mean, you're basically a good person, aren't you? You know right from wrong. You can remember most of the Ten Commandments, if not in order. You've got some idea about the Sermon on the Mount. You try to live a good life. See, we can agree with Romans so far, can't we? There are some real sinners out there. You do see some seriously bad people out in Macquarie Fields or wherever those riots are. You see some terrible people in the newspapers or on the TV. Um, fair, Fair enough if God is angry with them. Fair enough that they need to be rescued. But we're the good people, aren't we? The moral people. How can God be angry with us? What's this, what's this message of rescue got to do with us? In Romans chapter 2, Paul turns to a person much more like you and me. Much more like the people that we know. Now, this person would agree with God's judgment so far. They would say, yes, God, you're right. Those terrible, wicked people out there they do the wrong thing. It is wrong that they are depraved and immoral and disgusting. They agree with God's judgment on the terrible sinners out there, the sinners that he's talked about in chapter 1. You can see in chapter 2 and verse 1, Paul addresses, you who pass judgment on someone else. Now, we think passing judgment is a bad thing, but here it's meant to be a good thing. This is the person who agrees with God's judgment, who agrees that God is right. And that the people in chapter 1, these terrible, immoral sinners, are wrong. Now, the person in Paul's mind here is probably a Jewish person. For Paul, there were basically two kinds of people. You had your Jews, the people who had God's law in the Bible, and then there was everyone else, the Gentiles, the nations who didn't have God's law in the Bible. 
Paul didn't actually have Presbyterians in mind as he wrote Romans chapter 2. Presbyterians hadn't been invented yet. But if you think about it, the average Presbyterian actually fits this picture of Romans chapter 2 and verse 1 perfectly. Like the Jews in Paul's day, we've got the Bible, haven't we? Hopefully most of you have got it open in front of you right now. We know what's right and wrong. We know what kind of behaviour God wants. And we agree with it. We agree that sexual immorality and greed and murder and strife and deceit and malice and slander are wrong. We are willing to agree with God's judgement. We're willing to say people who are ungodly and terrible are ungodly and terrible. And it's not just Presbyterians who are like that. We live in a Christianised culture, don't we? And the so-called silent majority of Australians agree with us. They fit this picture as well, those people we rub shoulders with day by day. They've got some idea about the God of the Bible. They know what's right. They know what's wrong. And they disapprove of the way society is going. They go tut, tut, tut as they watch the news. They're disgusted by the terrible things that they see. Romans chapter 2 is addressed to good, upright, moral people. To people like you and me. To the ordinary people we meet each day. Paul is talking to people who are willing to admit that right is right. People who are willing to admit that wrong is wrong. Who are willing to agree that God's judgment is right on other people. But God's message to us in Romans chapter 2 is not very good news. The fact that we know right from wrong is not going to help us on Judgment Day. In fact, if anything, it's only going to make it worse for us. Because we've got a problem. Our problem is this, it's a very simple one. We don't act in line with what we know. We know what's right but we don't always do what's right. We know what's wrong, but that doesn't always stop us from doing what's wrong. And so Paul says, well, if we're willing to say that other people are doing the wrong thing, we've got even less excuse before God than they have, than the ignorant, immoral pagans. Look at Romans chapter 2 and verse 1. You, therefore... Have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge the other, you're condemning yourself. You know, when you point your finger, you've got three fingers pointing back at you. Because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now, we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. We agree with it. So when you, a mere man, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things... Do you think that you will escape God's judgment? You don't have to think too hard about it to realise it's true, do you? We know it's wrong to lie. We get annoyed when somebody tells us a lie. We think it's wrong. We know it's against what God wants. But then in direct contradiction to what we know God wants, we tell lies. We know it's wrong to be sexually immoral. We disagree with the promiscuity of our society. We disagree with the Mardi Gras and its immorality. We know it's against what God wants. 
but then in direct contradiction to what we know God wants, we harbour sexually immoral thoughts and desires, perhaps even actions. We know it's wrong to slander and to gossip and to be malicious. We know it's wrong to be covetous and selfish. We know it's against what God wants. But we just can't help ourselves. And in direct contradiction to what we know God wants, we do all those things. We brazenly disregard God and what he wants. And so our moral knowledge can't save us. In fact, it actually condemns us. We're naming our own judgment. It leaves us even less excusable before God than the immoral pagans who've never heard about God because we know that what we're doing is wrong. Paul, Paul goes on to say, he goes on to say that God has actually been very kind to nice moral people like you and me. He's been kind and tolerant and patient because he's kindly shown us what he wants. He's kindly given us his will. He's kindly enabled us to know right from wrong. But God didn't kindly give us these things so that we would ignore him. He didn't kindly show us the knowledge of his will so that we would reject his will. He's given it to us so we'll repent, so we'll obey him. And so when we disobey what we know God's will is, we're not just disobeying God, we're actually showing contempt for God and for his kindness towards us. And that makes God very angry. Verse 4. Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance and patience, not realising that God's kindness is leading you towards repentance? But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. Do you see the point? As moral people... We've got even less excuse for our sin than people who've never heard about God. When we sin, we do what we know is wrong. Now, do you know the word uh, contumacious? All the lawyers in here would. It's, a, it's a, a, a legal word. Contumacy is the noun. It's a legal word. To be contumacious means to willfully resist authority. It means to be deliberately insubordinate. It's a good word you can use on your children because it's just like a child who deliberately looks you in the face and then does what you've told them not to do. Yeah, that experience? I haven't had it since this morning. We know what God wants. And so when we look him in the face and deliberately do what we know is wrong, we're not just guilty of sin. We're being contumacious. Now, you and I might like to flatter ourselves that we'll be okay with God. We might like to think that our moral knowledge will stand us in good stead on Judgment Day. We might like to think that the fact that we are nice, moral, Presbyterian people who know right from wrong will mean that God will accept us. But the fact is, if we want to stand before God and our own merit, then knowing his will is not enough. And what Paul does in the next section is he introduces a very, very simple principle, but it is a principle that is completely devastating for those of us who know what's right and wrong. The principle is very simple. 
God is going to judge us on the basis of what we do. We need to act in line with what what we know. There it is in verse 6. Paul's quoting from the Old Testament and he says, God, here's the principle, God will give to each person according to what he has done. If you think about it, it's a patently obvious principle. We know it's true. Of course you get judged on what you do. And when you know that what you are doing is wrong, it's not an excuse. In fact, it just makes it worse. If you get booked for speeding, it's no excuse to say that you know what the right speed limit is. Picture the scene. Imagine trying this argument. The policeman pulls you over. He says, you've been doing 85 kilometres per hour. And you go, that's all right, officer. I know it's a 60 zone. It's ridiculous. It's just going to make the policeman angry. Knowing the speed limit's not going to help you, you're judged on what you do. And so you need to act in line with what you know. If you don't act in line with what you know, you just prove yourself to be even more guilty. It's an obvious principle, but it's a devastating principle for people like you and me who know God's will but don't do it. And here's what it means. Paul goes on to expound it. It means if you want to get yourself to heaven, you're going to have to act in line with what you know. You're going to have to do what God wants. Do what God wants. And not just sometimes. Persistently. All the time. Here it is, verse 7. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honour and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking, And who reject the truth and follow evil, there'll be wrath and anger. There'll be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. But glory, honour and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For God does not show favouritism. Very simple. God will judge us on what we do. And that means having God's law in the Bible is not enough. There's not going to be a memory test in heaven to see if you can remember the Ten Commandments. Knowing right and wrong is not enough. The test will be if we've obeyed. And of course, no one's going to pass the test, are they? Forget anyone else for the moment. Just think about you. You're not going to pass the test, are you? You don't always do what you know is right. There are plenty of times, let's name it for what it is, where we deliberately, obstinately, defiantly, contumaciously disobey. We look our maker in the face, we say, you are God, you want this, and I'm going to do that. We might try to rationalise it. It's only a little sin, we might say. It's just a white lie. Surely God's not going to care about that. We might try to invent a God who will let us off. We might try to invent a God who doesn't care that we deliberately flaunt his authority. We might try to invent an unholy God who doesn't care about our contumacy. But it's just an invention. It's not the real God. The real God's going to judge us on the basis of what we do with no favouritism. We're not going to make it, are we? We don't persistently do good. We are self-seeking. We do reject the truth and follow evil. And so, verse 8, we're facing wrath and anger. Verse 9, 
we're facing trouble and distress. In verse 12, Paul summarises his argument in chapters 1 to 2 so far. He says, whether you've got God's law or not, you're in deep trouble. If people don't have God's law, they're going to perish. As we saw in chapter 1, they've got no excuse for their sin. Paul reminds us again in verses 14 to 15, they may not have God's law, but they do have a conscience. They do have a sense of what is right and wrong. And even on their own standard, even on the basis of what they do know, those people out there will stand condemned. They'll perish. But those of us who do have God's law are not going to be any better off because God's law is going to actually judge us. And the question is not going to be, do you know God's law? Can you recite some verses from the Bible? The question will be, have you obeyed? There in verse 12, all who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law and all who sin under the law will be judged, that is, condemned by the law. For it's not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. And Paul then finishes by reminding us what judgment is going to be like. A day is coming when God will judge and he won't judge like people judge. God knows everything about us. God knows our deepest, darkest secrets and God will judge us on the basis of everything we've ever thought or said or done. Verse 16. This will take place on the day when God will judge men's secrets through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares. Well, I hope this is making you feel a bit uncomfortable. Because it doesn't sound good, does it? The day is soon coming. And if you are not rescued, you will stand before God your whole life will be exposed before him. Every thought, every word, every action, every inaction. No secrets. Nothing will be hidden. And you are going to be judged on the basis of whether you acted in line with what you knew was right and wrong. If you're a Presbyterian, it is going to be terrible. Because we've got so much knowledge. We know so much about what God is like. We know so much about what God wants us to do. We're here in church, reading the Bible, hearing it, hearing it explained week after week after week, and yet we have knowingly, stubbornly, willfully, defiantly, inexcusably, contumaciously disobeyed what we hear from the very word of God, from the God who made us, from the God who owns us, from the holy God who will not tolerate our contumacy. No one knows more about God than Presbyterians who've sat in, it in church all, the li all their lives and heard the Bible taught. And so no one is going to have it worse on Judgment Day than an unrescued Presbyterian. We seriously need to be rescued. It's not irrelevant. It's not over the top. We seriously need to be forgiven and put right with God. If anything, we deserve it far more than the terrible pagans out there because we're like that little child who looks God in the face and says no. What can you say but praise God for the gospel? <laughs> praise God for the message about Jesus. 
Praise God that he has a way of righteously rescuing us. Praise God that on that cross, God demonstrated his love and he gave his son to bear his anger on our behalf. Praise God that by relying on Jesus, we can be forgiven. Praise God that by relying on Jesus, we can be put right with God. Praise God that Jesus can rescue us from God's anger. Praise God for the gospel. You just see what a beautiful jewel it is in the light of this dark background, don't you? We so desperately, desperately need it. Please, please never fall into the trap of thinking you don't need to be rescued. Please never think that you will be okay on Judgment Day unrescued. The worst thing that you could possibly be on Judgment Day is an unrescued Presbyterian. And it applies to the people out there as well, all those nice moral people as well, doesn't it? The people we work with, the people we see each day. I know we can't see into their hearts, but you know as well as I do, they're they're just the same as you and me. And the more they know about God's will, the more moral they are, the more nice they are, the higher the standard they're setting for themselves, the higher the standard that they've got to act in line with. And you know they're just like you and me. They're contumacious. Like like us, the nice people around us are rightfully facing God's anger. Those nice people around us, well, they desperately need to be rescued too. So please don't be ashamed of the gospel. Please don't be embarrassed to tell them about Jesus. Please don't think you don't need it. Please don't think they don't need it. Judgment is coming. God is rightly angry. We need to be rescued. They need to be rescued. And Jesus is the only one who can do it. Please don't be ashamed of the gospel. Let's pray. Our Father and our God... When our sin is exposed, like you have exposed it to us from your word today, we are stunned that we can be the people we are, that we can know that you are the true God and you have a certain will and then we can reject it and disobey you. Even our smallest sin is, is massive in the light of that knowledge. And Father, we say that we are sorry And we ask you, please, to rescue us through Jesus. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.